Hi, everyone. This is John Luises, and I'm on with Rick Flynn today. My family owns Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop and the world's most famous beach in Daytona Beach and our world's most famous taffy. And Rick and I are going to have a great old conversation today. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Welcome on in, everyone. It's a pleasure to have you. What a fun show we're going to have today. And I want to personally introduce you to a fourth generation in this profession. Because you know what they say. They say that some of the best things are ageless. And I don't really know what is better than a hit record that one of the world's best, best entertainers had. If you would like to see the gentleman that I'm referring to, you can see that person, a photo on Rick Flynn Presents Facebook page. Scroll down and you're going to see a guest that I had on this show. His name was David Fishoff, who managed sports figures. He managed entertainment figures. He put the Broadway shows out on tour. He did it all. And you're going to see a picture of David with one of the world's greatest entertainers. Because as they say in Las Vegas, they say the superstar entertainers only need one name. That's it. One. For example, if you're driving down the strip in Las Vegas, an international city where people come from all over the world. And it was the days of yesteryear, and you would see the name Elvis. I don't think anybody would question. The whole world knows who that is. You only need one name. If you would go down that strip and look up and see one name on the marquee, and it said Sinatra, the whole world knows who that is. Go down that same strip and look up at a veteran Vegas performer, and it would say, Liberace. There you go. Well, one more to add to that list, because when he played Vegas, they would put one name on that marquee, and it was Sammy. My guest, John Zeno Louises, if you were driving down the strip of Las Vegas and you looked up and you saw the name, one word, Sammy, who is that? It's got to be Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr., one of the world's greatest entertainers. He had a number one hit record. And it said, uh, who can take a rainbow? And he could, uh, what what was it? Who can take a rainbow and... um, mixes it he mixes it with love and makes the world go round uh, who could take a rainbow wrap it in a sigh soak it in the sun and make a groovy lemon pie and who can do that the candy man the candy man can cuz he mixes it with love 
and makes the world go round. Our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you live from Daytona Beach, Florida, John Zeno. Louise's, a fourth generation candy man. Get in here, John. Introduce yourself and say hello to our audience worldwide. Hi, Rick. Thank you very much for having me on today. That was quite an introduction. I, I love the segue. I love how you did that. Being a family-owned businessman myself, Zeno's has become synonymous with the one word business uh, up on the billboard. So it, it was a very interesting take on how you did that. And I'm very happy to be here today. And by the way, before we get started, you asked me, your office was kind enough to get a hold of me weeks ago before we even had a date book for this show. And they said, Rick, before you bring on John, we want you to to taste the candy that we make. So you were kind enough to send me a box of candy and it was salt water taffy. It was, you know what I'm talking about. It This thing looks like a box of candy. It's about a foot long by an inch and a half deep. And it looks like a box of candy that you would buy in the store. And it's got your brand on there. Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop. It's a beautiful box with sandals and flowers and the boardwalk because on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach, Florida is where you make the candy or am I wrong? Do you make the candy at a different location? So the original location for Zenos and where our flagship store is, is still on the boardwalk in Daytona Beach. And that is where we used to make all of our candy and ice. Of course, our world's most famous taffy. We call it, of course, the world's most famous taffy because we're on the world's most famous beach. That's what Daytona is known as. And since then, our kitchen at that particular store was about a 20 by 15 closet, I like to call it. And we had to crank out a bunch of candy out there. And since then, we're up to eight different locations right now with manufacturing and distribution channels as well that we ship our candy all across the country where we now make our candy in a just shy of 11,000 square foot facility. So we stay pretty busy. It's still in the South Daytona area, uh, very close from the original location. But we have stores now that we own personally on both coasts of Florida, as well as to the hundreds of stores we ship out to all across the country. Oh, so you ship it out to other retail stores that you don't even own. Correct. Oh, yeah. So that was something we decided to do about 2004. Florida got hit with three back-to-back-to-back hurricanes. And I'm, you know, I took over the business from my father and... I was very content just to be a single store operator because of the success that little store has on the boardwalk. But those hurricanes terrified me and they forced me to realize that can't rely on just having this little store. What if something happens and it's taken away from you? And because of that fear and that dilemma of having to deal with those hurricanes forced me to branch out and to try to expand just to make sure I had a backup plan. 
And I realized at the end of the day that growing the business is actually the most fun part of running a business because it's mine. And, you know, I inherited my business from my father and my mother. And to grow something on your own, that take something that was given to you and make it better, that is what I really, really love to do. Very, very well. You know something? You make me feel young, which nobody else does, because <laughs> I can say this is family-owned since 1948 and I wasn't even born in 48. So usually I'm the old goat, you see. But with you, you make me feel young because in 1948, I was not even a twinkle in my mom and dad's eye. So thank you for that, if nothing else. <laughs> of course, I like to tell people that we're the other family-owned business that started in Daytona Beach in 1948, the other one being NASCAR. So the jury's still out as to which one of us is more successful. One day we'll figure it out. They seem to be doing a pretty good job right now, though, as it is. All right. Very well. People are going to wonder, is this a sponsored show? Are you sponsoring this show today? Absolutely not. It is not a sponsored show. We are not charging Mr. Louise's to come on our show today. The reason why I invited you on, John, is because, number one, you're the candy man. Number two, it's world's most famous taffy.com, which is your website. It is a long-term business since 1948, four generations. Number three, I tasted the taffy, as did my associate producer. I had the taffy at my home for a month almost, I would say. And it was wonderful. We absolutely loved it. And I'm not saying this because I'm being paid to say it. I'm not being paid to say it. It was a taffy that, number one, it was not hard and difficult to chew. That's the first thing. And we'll get into that because I understand you have your own whipping, quote unquote, technique. And number two, about your taffy, it retains flavor. There was... I don't know how many hundreds of pieces in that box, but I'd say it's fair, easily fair to say there were a hundred in there. And every piece had rich flavor in it. There was nothing bland. There was nothing hard as a rock. There was nothing difficult to chew. It was a wonderful, wonderful box of saltwater taffy. And let's dispel one notion. People know that you're on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach, world's most famous taffy.com, but you're not using saltwater from the ocean. Can we say that? And why are you not using it? I'm going to assume the water from the ocean is not conducive to making it, it. It would need sterilized too much. So you use clean water and add the salt to it. Would that be right? That is absolutely correct. And I have a wonderful story to tell you in regard to using salt water from the ocean in the taffy. About 40 years ago, so I'm 46 now, and we had a, a family of sisters that all worked for my parents. There were seven sisters and one baby boy as the younger brother. And all seven of these girls worked for my parents throughout high school and college. And uh, actually, three of them actually babysat for me. So when the oldest sister started working at the store, because we were family friends, we also had an adjacent gift shop next door to the candy shop. My dad 
would send the girl out to the ocean to tell her we need salt water for the saltwater taffy. So he'd give her a beach bucket and tell her she needs to go waist deep to get the salt water from there because the salt water at, you know, ankle deep wasn't good enough. So, of course, you know, he did this as a prank, like, you know, kind of just to make, to have a fun time and tell her dad. Uh, so he'd send her out, she'd bring back the salt water and they'd have a great laugh. And he would tell her, you know, I just did that to, to pull a prank on you. But here's the deal. You can't tell your sisters I did this because I'm going to do the same thing to them next year. And so he had a, a family of girls that, you know, went out to the ocean like every year, every other year to go get actual salt water from the ocean that, you know, ended up being like a great joke between the, the two families. I said. So the people I hire, they're not always people I know anymore and sometimes don't know what people will find a joke or what's funny. But, you know, they we're still very close friends with them and they still talk about it all the time. So that's always been an interesting take on how salt water from the ocean is actually not used in the saltwater taffy. And Rick, I have to say, thank you very much for the kind words in regards to taffy. You know, taffy does have a stigma against it for being hard and flavorless. And, you know, when I took over, I definitely wanted to change that. And I'd like to say I'm not being biased and thinking our taffy's the best because we make other candies as well. We make ice cream, we make chocolates, we make fudge. I've had fantastic ice cream elsewhere. I've had fantastic chocolates elsewhere. I've had fantastic fudge elsewhere for many, 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 many different ice cream fudge and chocolate companies. But Taffy is the one thing I've never had as good as what we make it. So I know it's just not me saying that. And hearing you, you know, reiterate or, you know, bringing up those comments is very satisfying. And I just want to thank you very much for that. Absolutely. I want to appreciate the uh, opportunity to have your Taffy. And when I placed it in my home and the associate producer, some friends came over, we all had it everybody said this is the best taffy i've ever had however as you stated you do more as the candy man than just salt water taffy yes you do worldfamoustaffy.com you do that you also make fudge you make chocolate as in chocolate candy you have ice cream that you make there you have a product i don't know what in the hell that it is it's called sea foam you're gonna have to tell me because i don't know what that is you make brittle i know what peanut brittle is i don't know of any other thing named brittle except peanut brittle you make caramel corn which i've had not of yours but of other caramel corn such as what you'd get at the fair or at the yeah the county fair the state fair has caramel corn and you make cotton candy once again which i've had at the fair but sea foam what in the world is that the sea foam is a light, crispy candy. It comes in plain or it comes covered in chocolate. It's basically the consistency of like a Whopper candy, a malt ball. I'm sure you're familiar with one of those. So it's I've got had that. that. I've had the Whoppers. So it's the consistency of that, like a crispy candy like that, but with a maple flavor. So if I had it, I would describe it as a Whopper, but instead of a malt flavor, it's more of a brown sugar maple flavor to it. 
it. Yeah, I believe up north, some people call it sponge candy. Uh, down here, we just call it sea foam because when you break it open, it actually looks like the sea foam that you find on the beach. Like it's got that foamy texture to it, which is caused by the bubbles that are in the candy when it puffs up because of the baking soda. Just another technical jargon of candy making, but that's how it gets his name down here. A Whopper would be what we'd also call a malted milk bar. True? Correct. 100%. So your sea foam is like a Whopper, but it's not malted milk. It tastes like like syrup, or what's it taste like again? Like a maple with a hint of maple, hint of brown sugar hint to it. So it's, you know, it's very hard to explain. And, you know, until you've had it, you don't realize how good it is because it's, it's just not a, it's not a popular candy. It's just something that we make that we do quite well with. But just because of its shelf life and it doesn't stay good for a long time, you have to sell it right away. I just don't think that it really ever got its due in terms of, you know, being a much bigger candy than it could be. Right. Now, the four generations, take me back to who the first generation that made the candy was and bring me up to yourself. Sure. So if, if I'm going to be completely honest, which I always am, I'm actually the third generation. Fourth generation are in school right now, but they're very much a part of the business as well. And I'll be more than happy to take you how we came to be. My great uncle Thomas started the business in 1948. He was a Greek immigrant, came over from Greece and moved to New York, which most people did back then. And he worked in Coney Island and he worked for a candy and chocolate company. And of course, I'm sure you know, Coney Island back in those days was famous for being like a fair slash boardwalk slash family friendly environment and he was able to learn to make a bunch of confections there and then one year he came down to Daytona Beach Florida during Christmas break and it was about 10 degrees in New York and 85 degrees on the beach in Daytona Beach and he thought to himself I'm never going back to New York again and which a lot of people do that when they come down here for the first time especially back then and he opened up the store on the boardwalk and then my father, who came over in 1953, about five years later, started to work for my uncle. And my dad was the youngest of three children and the only boy in the family. And so he was a, for lack of a better term, a spoiled prince his entire life. He never had to work, didn't know probably what a broom was until he moved over here to the United States. And he thought he was going to have more of a maitre d' type job because the candy stores back then in Greece, you had the young gentleman wearing a bow tie and a tuxedo and greeting the customers as they came in. Well, apparently this guy that did it in my dad's hometown got all the girls. So my dad was very excited that he was going to have this opportunity. But when he came here, that's not how it was. Back then, we used to close the store for about three months at a time during the slow season. And when they would open up, there'd be like a mountain of sand in front of the door or under the door on the other side of the door and my great uncle told my dad hey get the broom and my dad thought to himself oh i guess the person who normally sweeps isn't here today and you know my dad swept the floor and after a half hour or so of doing work my dad asked his uncle, hey, where's the guy that's going to be doing all this? And uh, Uncle Thomas goes, me and you are going to be doing it. So my dad swore, who passed away three years ago, he swore to, the, to Zen Bay that if he had the $500 to go back to Greece, he would have gone back because he ended up getting him much more than he bargained for. 
But I'm very happy he stuck it out because he made a wonderful business for himself. When he took it over, it was just the boardwalk sweet shop. And we come from a long line of narcissists. So, of course, when he took it over, he named it Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop. And I then took it over in 2003. It's what I always wanted to do. I went to school here in Daytona Beach, uh, graduated from the University of Florida. And even my professors and my deans and everyone else there knew I was just simply coming back home to take over the candy business. My mom insisted I went to school just because it's always good to have a backup plan. So I took that over in 2003 and my wife and I, my wife Christina and I got married in 2003 right at the same time. And she has been, you know, my rock solid point in all the business growth that we've had. The absolute best teammate that anyone could ask for. And of course, we've got the fourth generation, Zeno, who I named after my father, of course. Uh, He's 14, just started high school this year. And we've got CJ, who's named after my wife's father, and he's 10 years old, and they both have the same, they both seem to have a specific set of skills that I really think will benefit them if and when they decide to take over the business, which I really think they want to right now. That's what they both tell me. I'm not forcing them to do it because I'm of the belief that if they don't want to do it and take it over, they're going to lose the business or they're going to sell it. But if they want to take it over, you know, it's up to them to take it over. Me personally, I'm going to die. In business. I'm never going to retire. I enjoy what I do. I love it, actually. And I'm very happy to help them out throughout the way. And I just think it's funny that one day in the very near future, just like I told my dad and just like he told his uncle, my children will be telling me, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to the candy business and that I need to get with the time. And I'm very much looking forward to that day. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my. So they're showing signs, Generation 4, that they're going to be with you. But you're like, people ask me, should I force my child to take piano lessons? Should I force them to be a musician? I said, no, acclimate them to it. Let them start taking the lessons. But if it does not work out, don't force it and shove it down their throat. That does no good. Rent the horn for a year. Rent the instrument. Buy them a low-cost keyboard that'll fit on top of a card table, one that you don't have a whole lot of money in. See if they can make that one talk. And if they can't and they have no interest in it whatsoever, you're not out anything. But no, I say don't force the child. Let them do it if they want. And you're in agreement with that. Yes. Uh, you know, Rick, uh, my dad was a musician as well. Not, you know, he he, he played in uh, local Greek bands that played for weddings and the Greek festivals that we have at different churches throughout the area. And growing up, I'm left-handed, he's right-handed, and that's a, a kind of a big deal when you're dealing with guitars. But growing up, I always had an interest in learning guitar, but I realized I cannot learn from him because it was just one of those things. I think, you know, when it came to anything besides the business, my dad and I never had an argument once. Never. He was an amazing father, and I was a very good son. And my mother would tell you that to this day. If she could clone me, she would have had a million of them. But when it came to the business aspect of side of things, ah, that's when we would buy heads. And it is what it is, and I think that's typical with any family business. There's a whole lot of, I'm not going to shut up, you shut up type of conversation. And But I couldn't learn guitar from him. It was either in the way he was teaching or, you know, the disappointment of maybe I wasn't getting it right away because he was more natural at it. And it wasn't until I went to college and thankful 
at a time where the internet was around that you could really pick up things on the internet by reading tablature, which is a way that to learn guitar without having to read music. So that I became quite a good guitar player as well. And I still play to this day and I still sing. I was in a, a rock band in college and I always joke around and I tell everyone I, I married my first groupie and that was my wife, Christina, of course. And children will want to do what they want to do. There's some things you have to force them to do. Brushing their teeth is one thing you have. There's no exception of that. They have to do that. And there's just some things they have to do. But passion, which is why I think I love the candy business so much, I love doing it. And I just want to make sure that whatever it is my children do, they love doing it because ultimately they'll be successful at the end of the day if they have a passion for it. And if you're forced into it, I didn't have children to make them miserable adults. I had children so that I could raise them to learn to do something that they want to do. But I'm hopeful at the same time, they'll continue the legacy of their great, great uncle, their grandfather their dad, and of course themselves. Right. Children have a hard time imagining because it's a dream. They can't believe it's true. They cannot imagine that if you don't brush your teeth, it can kill you. They don't think that way. They think that, oh, that's just something they're telling me to get me to brush my teeth. And I'm telling you, there are deaths in this country that occur because people do not adhere to any dental care. You know it, and I know it. The kids, they think it's a joke. Yes, you know, and I'm a big believer of, in terms of my children, I had an excellent childhood. My parents really were the best. My brother and I really got lucky and just born into the most amazing family. My children have it even better off than I did. Or And so at the same time, you know, there's a fine line handing too much to your children and making sure they know how to earn something when that opportunity presents them. So I'm constantly putting my children in uncomfortable situations, which they have no say in it. Because to me, you have to learn how to deal with yourself in uncomfortable situations situations if everything else is given to you. So for example, I make them do public speaking. I make them go do things in chorus or choir that they're singing, things they don't really want to do because of the uncomfortableness of it. I make them do jujitsu, which is a martial art where you're basically trying to strangle the person out that you're rolling with because I want them to learn how to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation because when I'm and they're adults, I won't be able to walk them through these things. So it's very important as a parent, just to prepare them as much as you can. And at the same time, teach them all the things you wish you knew as a kid. Don't do it for them. Teach them how to handle it because no one taught you how to handle it. And that's like a, I think that's actually like a Bruce Lee philosophy. So it's super important that the children things we wish we knew, not the things that we should do for them and that we do for them. My there you go. All right. Now, on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach, where you will find Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop, world's most famous taffy.com. You're open. You have all kinds of people all the day, all the night walking down that boardwalk. Lord Almighty, John, you've had people come into that shop for the last more years than I've been alive. And certainly you've had celebrities in there. Talk to me about some of them that have come in to the candy shop to see the candy man. 
Sure. So being in business so long, we've had many different people come into the stores for many different reasons. So of course, the store has been featured on many different channels, such as the Food Channel and MTV and, you know, doing news pieces on us throughout the country. But for actual celebrity customers, you know, the Almond Brothers, the band, they're from Daytona Beach area. And so I've seen them walking in as recently as 15, 20 years ago. One of the Almond Brothers walking in front of the boardwalk store, coming in and getting candy. And they would play, you know, on the pier in Daytona Beach. And someone who has a true place in my heart that came to Daytona Beach before he was famous and after he was famous was Dennis Askins. Now, if you don't know who Dennis Askins is, I'm sure if you grabbed any 30 to 50 year old and you asked them who Mr. Belding is from Saved by the Bell TV show, they would absolutely know who he is. And he has come to the store many times. And that was my favorite TV show growing up and even through college. So it's like, you know, very cool deal for me when he comes to the store and he always gives me call lets me know he's coming. And of course, we've had the NASCAR drivers come in because the Daytona 500 is here. We've had professional athletes, just musicians. And, you know, a lot of the times we've had people come in that we just didn't even realize until after they were gone who they were. And it's, it's, it's very cool when they come in because at the end of the day, I, I still have never asked for an autograph or a photograph or anything like that because at the end of the day, they're people. And, you know, they might do great things and they are great at what they do, but they've got the same problems that I do with any other thing. So it's like, you know, I just let them be because I don't want them to ever feel, and they're always more than generous. If, if I'm sure if I were to ask, they would oblige me and, you know, be kind and do it. But at the same time, I just want them to live their life happily. I want them to come to the store and not feel, you know, bothered. So, and then whenever I see a celebrity out and about, I, you know, I just tell my kids, hey, that's so-and-so right there. And we don't bother anyone. So I try not to be a nuisance. I'm always mindful of that. But being where we are, we've had housewives from Bravo come into the store. So it's fun. You know, it's, it's a good work environment. It's a fun place to be. And being in business, 2023 will be our 75th year. So being in business that long, you've had your fair share of people walk in those doors. And being a public entity, especially one on the boardwalk in Daytona Beach, you never know who's going to walk through that door, do you? Never know. And, you know, it's awesome it is to have someone famous come in the door, the, the thing that really gets me going, the most exciting thing is when you've got grandparents come in the store and they tell you they came into this store with their grandparents and you're dealing with a fifth generation candy and ice cream customer. And yes, we do make candy and yes, we do make ice cream, but we make memories. That's like, you know, one thing that we do. And that is my mom and dad's legacy is that corner store. My dad loved uh, four things in his life, uh, his music, his friends, his family and his business. And at any other time, any of those could have been first place. So it's super important to me as the third generation to make sure I secure my dad's legacy because at the end of the day, there's no one more cooler and more famous than my dad. Like, you know, and there's no one that I looked up to more and admired. And that is ultimately my job at the end of the day, just to make sure everyone still remembers Zeno and everyone still loves going into that store. 
Now, your dad, Zeno, Z-E-N-O, he was the guy over in Greece that would get the women because he was the candy man. Is that true? I thought the women, in order to get the women, you had to be in the rock and roll business like the Allman Brothers. I didn't think that, that yeah. you could do it as a candy man. But in Greece, I'm wrong, right? He wasn't a candy man in Greece. He knew of a candy man. And that guy is the one that got all the girls because they would walk into the candy store and he, you know, was looking handsome with the bow tie. So, And that guy's name was Marco. So when my dad heard that his uncle had a candy store in the United States, he thought to himself, oh, wow, I'm going to be like Marco. I'm going to go over there and get all the girls. But clearly wasn't the same kind of working environment over here in Daytona Beach than there was at Greece at that time. So in Greece, was the guy getting the women a relation of yours, an uncle, or is would that be your uncle? That's- it was just a guy in the neighborhood that worked at that particular candy store. My family from Greece had no connection to candy stores over there. It wasn't until my great uncle and my dad came over here, state, where we started to actually have any affiliation with candy business. Over in my dad's hometown, they're the number one exporter of peaches of all of Europe. So they're peach farmers. And that's what, you know, all of them did, especially at those times back then. So he was excited for the opportunity to meet and talk to girls, which is funny because he didn't know a lick of English. Uh, as soon as he moved to the United States, he got a letter in the mail, I believe, from President Eisenhower. And he thought to himself, oh, my goodness, the president of the United States is welcoming me to the country. Oh, this is amazing. They were his draft papers. So he had to leave Daytona Beach and go immediately to the U.S. Navy, where he served proudly for two years, peeling potatoes and playing guitar on the boat for his friends. And, you know, he's from a landlocked village in Greece where there's no water. So he didn't even know how to swim. So he came to the United States, a Greek immigrant, and became a veteran and served proudly. And he still said to this day that we should all do some kind of military training because as his children, we were both, my brother and I were very soft and, you know, had a hard time making the bed. And he was always a believer that the military would have fixed that for us. Now, I never went. I'm a coward. So I I never went to the military. I went to school. But I'd like to say that I shaped up and I straightened out since my youthful beginnings of not being so tight as a child. Right. And back when I was of military age, of course, that was the Vietnam War era. And we had the lottery in effect. I'm sure you probably remember the dear old lottery and I was assigned by the government my lottery number and my number was 200 I'll never forget it it was 235 that was my number now that year when I was eligible for the draft they would draft you that year they went to number 180 80. So it was luck of the draw. We mentioned Las Vegas earlier. I was a gambling man and I got a good number. And that's the only thing that kept me out of the U.S. military. And you know something? Had I been drafted, I would not, N-O-T, not have gone and fled to Canada. I would not have refused. I'd have gone in. I'd have probably worked in the radio station. I may have played drums in the band. I would have done something in communications, I would have gladly served my country. But when your number's 235 and they're only going to 180, you get a handkerchief and you wipe the sweat off of off of your forehead 
and you carry on. That's the only thing I could do other than uh, just thank God I was not uh, out on the, the front lines because I have nothing but respect of soldiers, men and women today. What breaks my heart is that there are men and women who have given their life for the freedom that we have in this country, and then we have tyrants who take it away from you just because of their ego, and that disgusts me. I I, I hate that, but that's not my, why me and you are here today. We're here for good, good reasons to make people smile, and let me tell you something. When I heard you were coming on the show, John, and they said, well, he's out of Daytona Beach, Florida. He's got a shop on the boardwalk. I said, Daytona Beach. I said, well, who do I know in Daytona Beach? And I said, well, the Allman Brothers, they started the band in Macon, Georgia. That's really where the Allman Brothers got started, in Georgia. And my friend, Jimmy O'Brock, from the band Boot out of Newport, Ritchie, Florida, the Allman Brothers used to warm him up in his band. They were already big stars, Boot. That meant blues of our times, Boot. And the Allman Brothers would warm up Boot. Leonard Skinner from Jacksonville, before they were ever known, they would warm up Boot. And I was looking through some old pictures the other day, and I have a picture of me and Deb. Devin Allman. That's Greg Allman's son. I'm getting ready to put that up on my Facebook page. It's not there right now, but I'm going to add that. But yes, I thought of the fact that after the Allman Brothers got started in Macon, Georgia, they went as a band, the whole unit, and they went and transferred to Daytona Beach, which is where I believe Greg continued to live. Uh, I don't know if he lived there until his death or, or what, but for years, the Allman Brothers were out of Daytona Beach, Florida. And you're saying that they would come in and buy the candy. Did they ever speak to you? Do you ever talk to Greg Allman or Dickie Betts, the other guitarist, or any of the other members of the band? Or were they just hello and goodbye people to you? Uh, mostly hello and goodbye. I would always be in the back part of the kitchen. So I really never had a lot of contact with someone when I was actually in production. I'll never forget as my buddy Kevin was working and Kevin was like, oh my goodness, that's one of the Almond brothers right there. And he, he actually went out and uh, chased him down, I think, and got his autograph while I watched Thor. They were doing a, the last time I saw him, it must have been, must have been 15, 20 years ago. And they were doing like a photo shoot for something. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, it might've been, they might've been doing a documentary of some kind of where, you know, certain events took place. And, but that's, yeah, Leonard Skinner, Jack, Jacksonville's only an hour away from Daytona Beach. And all of those bands have some pretty cool roots and ties to each other being like, you know, Southern rock. But Dick Dickie Betts, I've never seen Dickie Betts personally, but I do believe Dwayne Allman did live here, you know, was living here at that time as well. So I don't know if he, if he ever moved or anything like that. 
Very well. Well, for a while, he was married to entertainer Cher, as you know, and I was uh, a nightclub yep. DJ. I knew a young gal when I was a young guy in my early 20s. That she used to come in the nightclub where I DJed, and she was telling me about when she lived in Florida, and I imagine that it was uh, Daytona or Daytona Beach, but you have some type of a um, band stand or band shelter outdoors there they usually have them in a park and they were giving a free concert there that featured the then up-and-coming almond brothers and she was there and lord almighty who showed up with greg almond but share and she didn't know who share was quite at the time but you know years after that she said whoa that's who that was and it was share she was there with uh, the baby and just it was just another another day these are people just like anyone else what what is it they say they put their pants on just like you do one leg at a time will you agree with that john yes and you know it's amazing how this conversation's come full circle now because during your introduction and you were talking about people synonymous with one name. She, Cher, was the one I went to originally before I had any idea which way or direction you were taking this conversation. So it's funny that we're talking right now about another person whose one name is synonymous with who they are, and you know exactly who anyone's talking about when you mention that person's name. I thought that was pretty cute how we managed to do that, even though we didn't try to do that. Well, if you're driving down the strip in Las Vegas, and I'll tell you, I've been to Vegas and I stayed there for two solid weeks. And I'm telling you, it is an international city. There are people I met there, John, they're from all over the world. This is not just, well, I'm from Ohio. I'm from Georgia. I'm from California. Oh no, they fly in from the world to go to Vegas. And it's just an international city. People love to gamble. People love to eat good food, which they're, you know, in plentiful supply of in Vegas. And it's just a wonderful place. But if you would drive down that strip, John, and look up and see one word only, share. I don't think there's a person in the United States, truly, that if they're mentally and physically healthy, they would look up there and not know who that is. I guarantee you 99.5 of us are going to know who Cher is. I agree. And, you know, coincidentally, again, I'm going to be in Vegas in two weeks. I'm I'm in full agreement with you. I think Vegas is the greatest city to go visit. I'm not a gambler. I don't go for to gamble or anything like that. But where else can you find so many amazing restaurants, so many different types of restaurants, a great atmosphere in terms of places to hang out during the day from either walking the strip, spending at an amazing pool at one of the resorts, casinos there, great dinners, and then shows at the end of the day, entertainment from anything from music to magic to comedians. To me, it's the best bang for buck. And if you don't gamble, which I don't, you're really not going to get raked over the coals because 
because they're there to help you. They want you there thinking you're going to gamble. So if you just go there just and spend it like you would any other city, you can have the most amazing time, even a better time than anywhere else. I truly believe that. We go there once a year for like three nights. It's usually three to four couples and we just have a great time and it's just so much to do. And you can be sure that when I'm on the strip this time, I'll be trying to see how many one name acts I can find up (laughs) on this strip and let you know. Right. There you go. All right. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking today with John Zeno Louises. That's spelled L-O-U-I-Z-E-S, L-O-U. I, Z as in zebra, E-S, that is a Greek name. His family is now four generations in the candy business. He owns Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop in business on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach, Florida since 1948. I only thought you had four or five locations. What, you've doubled that now? What do you got, nine, eight or nine? We have eight. Ice cream and candy stores. So we have four Zeno's Boardwalk Sweet Shop locations, and we also have four Strahan's Homemade Ice Cream and Desserts locations. Strahan's is a brand from the Tampa Bay area that it's the area where my wife is from. And so when we would go visit my in-laws, we'd always go into those shops over there, and I always enjoyed them, and they are fantastic, and they would win Best in Tampa Bay for ice cream and desserts every year. And it just, through the rumor mill, we had found out that they were looking to sell. And so going back to what I said about I'm here to protect my father's legacy, it seems like this is another business I've gone into because Mr. and Mrs. Strahan passed away. And the children, for whatever reason, either couldn't take over the store or just couldn't work out a deal to take over the store, ended up uh, wanting to sell it. But I think they feel that the store and, you know, their mom and dad's legacy is in very good hands with me and my family because I do whatever I can to protect that legacy. It's super important to me, like everyone remembers who my dad is, is that everyone remembers who Mr. and Mrs. Strawhand was too. Because this little store on the corner of Alt-19 and Palm Harbor, Florida, was just a cute little ice cream shop that they grew to two locations and then we just closed on the fourth location yesterday actually so we'll be opening up another store in that area in the next couple weeks and that's been a lot of fun to do i'm i'm very much a part of or enjoy being a part of a team that protects legacy of businesses so i don't know if i'll always stay in the candy or just only stay in the candy and ice cream business because the older i get I'm a big believer that nostalgia always wins. And if there's a business out there that I could find it to be a fun business, whether it be anything, pizza, food, restaurant, ice cream, candy, but it doesn't have a legacy plan in place, that's when I would like to step in because I hate seeing things that were once great and are still great not have a future. And that's kind of where I want to go as a businessman. And I think I can do a pretty good job of that. I'm not a very good guy at creating things, but I'm a very good guy of preserving things and making them better. And I feel that's one thing I'm very excited about uh, moving forward and in doing that. Right. Well, people have asked me when, especially when they bring me in these broadcasting academies and I give a speech to these young people who have never talked on the radio a day in their life. They've never been a successful DJ and made a dime, not one day 
in their life. And I tell them, listen, is it a fun business? Yes. Do people, do you meet people? Yes. But once I get done sugarcoating the business, I get down to it and I tell them, listen, these radio stations, they buy and sell them like you would trade baseball cards. They use them as an investment. When you buy or sell a station, it is not at all uncommon that the new owner brings in their own people. So you can lose your job due to no fault of your own. Have a backup plan. Do not rely on the dream to pay your rent. On the first of the month, the rent is due. They do not care who bought the radio station or who sold it. Have a backup plan. Now, there you had the fourth generation candy store on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach. The place was making money. And what did you do? You had a backup plan because of what? What caused you to think that was the tornadoes? And you said, man, I'm going to lose my shirt if they wipe this store out because of the weather. And you put a backup plan in place. Is that the reason you did it? Yes, it was the actual the hurricane in 2004 and because of that because I'm a creature of habit and so was my dad I, my mom would always say that if you painted the bottom of my dad's shoes one day and let him go do his routine that every day after that he would step in those same exact spots again and not do it on purpose but that's just how he was and I was very much like that in the sense I don't really like change that much but as I've gotten older and become a little more successful in what I do the risks that one time were very big aren't as big anymore. And I'm willing to take those little risks again, like opening a store here or there. While they were a huge risk, when you only have one store and you're opening a second, that is a huge risk. But when you have seven and you're thinking about eight, it's still a big risk, but it's not a high percentage of a risk. And so with time, I guess it's come some courage or some knowledge knowing that, you know, even if the store is a disaster, which it could very well be. There's nothing set in stone that all the stores can't become a disaster for whatever reason. COVID was a perfect example of that. And it's just having that mindset of being happy. I'm always very happy. I'm a happy person. Even when things aren't going right, I still manage to keep a positive outlet. But be happy, but never be satisfied. And and by satisfied, I mean not to be greedy, but just to know that you can always better yourself. You know, I always try to take some classes. I, I'm taking singing lessons right now as a 46-year-old guy just to do it because I'm always about trying to learn something new or picking up a skill or improving something. And even with the candy and ice creams, I know how to make, ev I've made everything we make a million times. I can do it blindfolded. But if there's ever a seminar or technique on a different kind of candy or confection or baked good that I just not that familiar with, even if I have no intention on selling it, I'll sign up for that. And, you know, a perfect example of someone who does that is Tom Cruise. Cruise, I think, you know, I don't know how he is off the movie screen, but on the movie screen, he's the best actor of my lifetime. I, every movie he's in, I think he's incredible. But 
I heard that he was taking hip hop dance classes just for whatever reason, just to make, you know, he never knew he had to do a role to where he had to dance hip hop. And to me, that was something, well, here's someone that's at his absolute best, who is the best, and he's still say, taking classes just to take classes and learn. And something that I'm sure you told with your students in those classes is just never stop. Just always keep learning. Because when you learn something, you might realize you have an amazing skill in something else that might end up being something that becomes your bread and butter and how you make a living for the rest of your life. I have known highly successful, talented musicians. I could call them out by name. I'm not going to do that. But believe me, they have had no trouble making money and going on world tours in their craft. They're so good. But you know what? You don't go out on national or world tours every week of your life. There are months and months go by, which is called downtime. Well, don't they make records? Well, all right. Yet when you're young and you have a contract, you do make some records. As you get old, those records are not at the top of the charts the way they were when the group first came out. You have a year go by and no tour. And what do they do? They're highly skilled in construction. They'll build and sell homes. They'll work on projects in construction and make thousands of dollars. I knew a guy that started an electrical business that would wire the homes and Lord Almighty, John, he was grossing over a million dollars a year wiring houses. Now, is that a backup plan or not? I, I, that's as good of one if I've ever heard one. There's not that's uh that's doing something completely out of your realm or out of your element and making the most of it because sometimes you do those side projects or backup plans even if you really really don't enjoy doing them but he might take that million bucks and put it towards the most amazing concert roadshow that the world has ever seen so it's a it's a means to help fuel your passion do whatever it takes to help you become passionate or stay passionate in that in which you love to do and that's an excellent story thank you very much john zeno louises ladies and gentlemen www.worldsmostfamoustaffy.com world's most famous taffy.com true or false something i've learned in preparation for this show that i had no knowledge of zero until i learned you were coming on true or false tootsie roll is nothing but a chocolate taffy when you eat a tootsie roll you're eating taffy is that correct that is 100% correct. I think if you were to taste our chocolate taffy, it would be a softer version of a Tootsie Roll. So very much so. A, a softer, better tasting version of a Tootsie Roll. But that is a 100% true statement. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, he is proud of his fourth generation business. Although the fourth generation, they're in school right now. <laughs> they'll, they'll be home shortly. And I want to tell you, John, I have only tasted your saltwater taffy because you were kind enough to send it to me, and we had it, and the box is now empty, but I'm holding that box right now in my hand. I will say, and I'm not saying this because I'm being paid to say it, 
because I'm not being paid to say it. Once again, if you've just come into this show, this is not a sponsored show. He is not being charged to appear on my show. I, I've never paid a guest in my life to come on my radio show, and I'm sure as the hell not going to start doing it now. He is here because he has the type of business that puts smiles on people's faces. I knew, even though I didn't know who the people were, that when you're in business since 1948 and you're on the boardwalk of Daytona Beach, that people are going to walk into that store. I had no idea that it was the Allman Brothers Band. And you know what? I'm glad I heard it. I just heard it today for the very first time because I do not discuss the questions I ask with the guest in advance. And I did not with this guest here today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to try out the world's most famous taffy. John, how are they going to do it? I think a good place to start might be worldsmostfamoustaffy.com. Rick, you hit the nail on the head. If they'd like to order any taffy, world's famous taffy. We also sell our brittles, which are peanut, pecan brittle, coconut brittle, cashew brittle, and caramel corns, all on the website, as well as our salted caramel. And if they'd like to visit us in Florida, we have four locations over here. And of course, if they're in the Clearwater, Tampa area, please visit location and uh, get some of the best carrot cakes and key lime pies you've ever had as well as some awesome ice cream over there as well and rick i just want to thank you very much for your time today i had a lot of fun today and uh it was very cool hearing your perspective on many different subjects and as well as some of your experience and stories so thanks again so much absolutely do you ship the taffy worldwide i'm going to assume you probably do we could, but the wet, but they would need to call us for that, and our contact information is on our website. It's just that shipping is just so ridiculously expensive to ship it overseas. They end up paying more so than they do on the taffy itself. But we ship all through the continent or th- throughout the United States, and we ship probably around 25 to 30 orders a day, people all across the country, which is an amazing thing. I think it's great that we live in a world that a little candy store on the boardwalk that started out as a little business on the boardwalk is now shipping to customers all across the country. He mixes it with love and he makes the world go round. Who is that? That's the candy man. The candy man can. John Zeno Louises, our guest today on Rick Flynn Presents, ladies and gentlemen. See him. Order the taffy. The same taffy that we have been eating in my office. www.worldsmostfamoustaffy.com Call down there. Get a box shipped up to your own home. If it's not the best taffy you've ever eaten in your life, don't get another box. I am telling you, I've had it. I've got a box which is completed. We ate it all, but it was fabulous. I highly recommend it. John, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. And in closing, what do you want to tell everybody before I let you get out of here? Rick, I feel we said it all. I just want to thank you very much for your time. And if you're ever down in Daytona Beach, Florida, or any of where our other stores are at, I'd love to show you around. So just have a fantastic day. And thanks so much for allowing me to be on today. Excellent. John Zeno Louises, everybody, our special guest. 
This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and the Candyman, www.worldsmostfamousdaffy.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We had a great show, a fun show today. We'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new show. Good night. Thanks again, Rick, for having me on and spreading the word about Zenos and our world's most famous Taffy. And I look forward to catching up with you next time you're in the area. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.